you'll turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. to read beginning with verse number one. Paul writing to Timothy says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead in his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, the instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto faithfulness. What time do you know when we get out here at some point? I want to get that time for prayer. Praise God. Well, for the next two or three hours or less. shake you up a little bit. Let me talk to you from the uh, third verse especially. On enduring sound doctrine. Enduring sound doctrine. Very plain, unadorned title to what I will talk about today. Lord, I come to you this morning and I ask for your help. And ask for your help. Oh God, I need you in a special way. Would you please unfold your word to our minds, our hearts, our understanding. May it find a lodging place in the heart of every individual here. May it clarify, Jesus, things in our minds so that we can comprehend a little more what this is all about. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Lend strength to your people, to your church today. And help me as your representative, as your messenger, as your spokesman. Help me say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. I want to say here at the outset that this chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is what has become known as Paul's sign-off chapter. It is his final address. Praise God. And uh, as such, I want to say that a man, particularly a great man, who knows he is about to die, if he is going to be speaking Two people who are going to be carrying on his work, his labor. He is not in his last opportunity. He is not going to be telling the latest jokes he heard. That's right. He's not going to uh, be just remarking about frivolous, unimportant things. If he has one more chance to speak or write, to the individual who will, for all practical purposes, be taking his place. And such was the case of Timothy. He is going to say to him that which lies closest to his heart. The things that he feels the most strongly about. He is going to reveal to him his intimate feelings and impressions. Praise God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
And this chapter is loaded with those kinds of sentiments. You realize here that it is his final address because he says, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I don't know how close he was to his execution, but he must have been very close. The time and date must have already been set and announced. He had very little time left. It is also here that he makes that famous statement. Praise God. And what a powerful sum this can be on a man's life. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. But what's more important than everything, I kept the faith. Praise God. It is also here that he reveals that he is not discouraged about this because he said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then he also says, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. But then he kind of uh, reveals here that he is lonely. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. It is also here that he writes that uh, one of his close followers has left him. Demas hath forsaken me, having love this present world. He is saying things that are close to his heart. The feelings of a great man who is about to die. It is also here that uh, he makes mention of some who have done him kindness and then also mentions others that have uh, been a great source of trouble and problem. He also says here, uh, when you come, bring the parchment. And he also said, uh, bring my cloak. He indicates that he is lacking for something to do. He wants some books to pass the time. And then he is cold. He needs his cloak where he's gone. He also writes here that all men at one time forsook him. He was left all by himself. But then he comes back out of it with this statement. Uh, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Praise God. And he says, And the Lord shall deliver me out of every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this is a powerful chapter. Yeah. There's a lot of verses here that mean a great deal. And uh, particularly because of the way he begins he starts this chapter invoking the name of God, praise the Lord, and calling him to witness what he is about to say. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And so it is a way of bringing or calling Timothy to attention. I'm getting ready to say something to you of very great importance. And then he says for him to preach the word. And then he gives them the reason why the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I'm just trying to, to get, uh, get our environment familiar here so we can all see where we're at. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. And this must have really... Uh, sounded off in Timothy's mind because you do understand that Timothy was undoubtedly around when Paul had some of his greatest revivals, successes, and harvests of souls. He was there and witnessed what the Word of God had done in the past before his eyes. Now granted, Paul went through a great deal of persecution because of the Word of God, but suffice it to say that it had such great impact that multitudes were saved under his ministry. I mean, they either liked it with everything they had or they hated it. Praise God. And the results were dramatic. 
here was a man that stepped into the city of Ephesus, which was at that time one of the uh, one of the chief places of demon worship that there was in the world at that time. And uh, yet when he stepped into town, he created such a commotion. Praise God. I mean, the worshipers of the goddess Diana spilled out into the streets uh -huh. and, and started a riot, did you believe? Praise God. Paul kept on preaching. I mean, he was the one that was causing this great disturbance. This little old preacher standing uh -huh. out there preaching. Furthermore, praise God, many were being saved and many great things were being done at the name of Jesus. And so seven reprobates, sons of Sceva, decided if he can do it, so can we. We see a way to make a profit here. Let's go try it out. So they went and hunted down the demon-possessed man gathered around him. Seven of them, mind you. Laid hands on him and said, We adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. That devil looked at them and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. But who are you? And that one man fell on them seven brothers. Praise God. And turned them every which way but loose. When they finally did get free, the Bible says they fled naked and wounded. I mean, they got a wicked. Yeah. <laughs> Seven men from one man. But this did not have an adverse effect on what Paul was doing. For the Bible says, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Uh -huh. Praise, Praise God. When everybody heard about this. Because they realized the point that was the time where they brought them. Brought them together, made a big bonfire and burned them, totaling a great fortune at that time. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says, So mightily increase the word of God and prevail. Uh -huh. yeah, right. When compared with those books of witchcraft, they paled by comparison. The word of God shown. It uh -huh. had a powerful effect on that city. Yes, Paul was there to the best of my recollection about two years preaching. Do you realize that historians confirm but by the time this revival, revival is not the appropriate word actually here, you can't revive something that's never lived, but by the time this, this uh, influx of the gospel had leveled out in the city of Ephesus, that church numbered upwards of 100,000 people at Ephesus. Oh. Now that's have a little revival. <laughs> God. We get all impressed nowadays. We hear 20, 30. I get impressed. Yeah. <laughs> then you hear about somebody saying, Man, we're turning this city upside down. We had a hundred come in. Yeah. Well, thank God for the hundred, but you're not turning the city upside down. <laughs> now, Paul could say that. Yeah. I turned that city upside down. Brother, he said it on its nose. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Here was a man who saw the kind of revivals that everybody's claiming to be having tonight. Now he suffered a great deal for it, but he saw it. And Timothy was there undoubtedly as an eyewitness to a lot of this. And yet Paul is setting up a caution sign by the side of the road. And you'd be a fool to continue on your same speed when there is a caution sign saying danger ahead. That's right. At least until you can identify what the problem is and feel that you can cope with it. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Whenever there's a caution sign, you slow down. Yeah. And that's what Paul is doing. He's setting up a flashing amber light. Danger. Slow down. Be careful. Look around. Pay attention. There's trouble coming down the road. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Praise God. And you know as well as I do that that day did come. It wasn't but just a few short years. The church went into apostasy. And it, it happened in such a terrible way that out of this New Testament church, out of some backslidden apostate members of the New Testament church, 
that we read about in your Bible came that ugly, diabolical Catholic trash. That's right. That's right. It's where it came from. They called Paul their apostle. They called Peter their apostle. Praise God. I mean, that's how bad it got in just a little while. And of course, nowadays, we have had a replay of the same thing. At the turn of this century, the Holy Ghost began to be poured out in this country. People were getting the Holy Ghost by the scans. I mean, revivals were breaking out for whole churches, denominal churches, Trinitarian churches, breaking out, speaking in other tongues. And eventually wound up getting baptized in Jesus' name by the thousands. There was a day in this country, maybe somebody here might remember it. Praise God. When a man didn't have to preach a fancy sermon. Uh-huh. He preached just a little old simple message and people called out. Yeah. Ran straight. We're happy to be able to pray. Uh-huh. Scared to death. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's how many of the churches in this country were formed. Praise God. Old brush sharper meetings and what have you. The Word of God had a powerful effect on people. Uh-huh. Praise God. Whether they accepted it or not, they couldn't remain indifferent to it. It uh-huh. ruffled their feathers. Yeah. I mean, it did something to them. Yeah. And many people, praise God, embraced it and ran and got a hold of it. But now the years have passed. And we are once again seeing a replay of what took place right here. Uh-huh. They're not enduring sound doctrine. That's it. Do you know what with jewelry on? That's right. Women would never cut their hair. They dressed as fully as they ever saw it today. Are you all hearing me? Praise God. I visited a camp in Florida today, or in nowadays. Uh, I believe it is the Presbyterian. They're down there, have a big camp. We drove through there, another preacher and I, and I mean, you'd have thought there's a bunch of ap- apostolics. And they would have made a great many apostolics put to shame. Uh-huh. Yeah. Amen. Come on, there was a day when they didn't do that. Praise God. But now they have accepted it. It has become common practice. And we might say, oh, bless God, them old Trinitarians, that's all it's good for them. It's happening to us now. Right on. I said it's happening to us. Yes, it is. It's becoming acceptable in our circle. Praise God. It's becoming commonplace among Pentecostal people. Amen. And then get up and preach against it in some of our camp meetings or conferences. You'll never preach again. Not in their meetings anyhow. Praise God. Because the time has come where they will not endure sound doctrine. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Now, let me say something here. The Bible says that one of the reasons would be that they would have itching ears. Uh-huh. Now, let me make a statement. I'm afraid of a dog when I walk up to him who does not wag his tail. Because it is so set up in a dog system that if he likes you and he's comfortable with you, he just wags his tail. Praise God. But if I'm a stranger in those parts, and there's a dog laying there, and I walk up to him, and he just peers up at me in the corner of his eye, and his tail's laying still. Brother, I'm going to exercise extreme caution. That's right. Where you go? Yes. But now I feel that I can be friend just about any dog, given enough time, enough opportunity, as long as he's not a raven, as long as he doesn't have killer instincts, I can make friends with just about any of them. You know how? If I can get enough dog biscuits or pieces of raw meat, Start tossing him to him so he'll let me get closer and closer and closer. If I can get close enough to reach out and scratch behind his ear, 
Because it is also a part that they God's make up that he loves to have his ears scratched. If you can manage to get close enough and he'll let you scratch his ears, you have made yourself a friend. The battle is over. His tail will start wagging after a while. And he'll lay there and just moan, turn his head this way and that way. Because he loves it! Praise God. There's a lot of people with that mentality in our churches. Praise God. Preacher, if you don't preach what I like, I'm going to sit right here and I'm not going to respond or say amen. I'm going to look at you all the time unless you scratch my ears. Yeah, come on. If you'll scratch my ears and pet me and make me feel good, then I'll get on your family. But if you don't, I'm going to sit here and smile and curl my lips and bow. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. And if you turn your back, I'm going to bite your leg off. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's the truth. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. So you know what a lot of people are doing today? They're getting up in their pulpits and spending a whole time scratching behind people's ears. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. All right. We're talking about the dog. Now let's talk about you. <laughs> it is a part of our makeup. We all like flattery. Uh-huh. Oh, brother, I'm too modest. <laughs> I'm so proud of my boy. Doesn't bother me whether someone compliments me or not. Yeah, he lie about other things. <laughs> we all enjoy it. We like somebody to brag on us. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, do that. Yes. Let somebody be on the job with a monotonous little task. There, day after day, week after week, nobody pays them any attention. They just very little accomplishment, very little praise, no appreciation for what they're doing. Praise God, they can they can get to the place where week after week they just sag more. My old dull boy, and stand and watch you a little bit. Finally, say, you know, I like the work you're doing. I really appreciate your effort. I, I don't know what we would do without you. We, this company needs people. Like you. you are indispensable to us. But I think on the wrong one. <laughs> This company needs people like you. I don't know what I'd do without you. Uh-huh. You know what you'll do? Uh, yeah. You'll stretch out a little taller. <laughs> and as soon as he walks away, you'll start thinking about how you're going to hit him up for a radio. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're so important, you're not getting paid enough for what you're doing. And hey, we love to hear Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. And there are some people that if the preacher doesn't constantly come around and say, we're so glad that you're a part of the church. We really appreciate you around here. We don't know what we'd do without you. You are so indispensable to this congregation. I wish all of my people were just like you. You'll start stretching yourself out. And begin to think that this place cannot get by. It cannot operate without your little presence. And there's a lot of churches where that goes on every Sunday. Come on. Oh, you lovely people. God bless your hearts. For going through all the trouble to get up today and wash your face and brush your teeth and put your clothes on and drive over to the house of the Lord. We're so glad that you're here. Praise the Lord, and this wouldn't be a church without you, and on and on and on. And I know that to a certain measure, maybe that applies, but I've got news for you. This church does not need 
he was. Praise God. And I can, this church needs me. Let me tell you something else. You weren't here before God was. And this is God's church. I said this is God's church. It's not your church. If you contribute to its operation, thank goodness you'll be rewarded for it. But if you withhold and start saying if he doesn't back off on this or that or he doesn't apologize for saying that, I'm going to take my little wallet and leave. I used to love that. Drive. 
even after I get where I can read, I enjoy hearing people read fairy tales and fables. Because there was one thing that they all had in common. They all have a hero. And in my childish mind, when I would hear that story, I would project myself into it and become the hero. I remember one story in particular. I, again, I hope you're not in a hurry. We might have to take a water break after one. Praise the Lord. I'll quit before I start with that. I promise you. Praise the Lord. But stay with me. Stay with me. Yeah, you do it all right. Come on. Praise God. And so I, I remember one in particular. I'll try to uh, condense it as much as possible. But it was a story of a king with a vaccine. There was always one of those. And he had a daughter who was married to me. She was the loveliest gal in the whole world. There was always one of those two. And so he didn't want her to marry just any old loser. He wanted her to marry somebody that was worthy. So he decided that he would put all the young men to a great test. He erected a huge glass mountain. And the test was, it was going to be three days, of trials, and the young man that could scale the, to the top of that glass mountain on horseback would win his daughter's hand in marriage and half of his kingdom in the west. Brother, they came from everywhere. All size, shape, color, and description. Bringing their horses from big old stallions and the fancy outfits to the mangy outfits. I mean, they they was born after. I don't know whether they wanted to gal somebody as a half kingdom. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that probably figured in there. But they came from everywhere, and the trials began. The first day, every one of them, hundreds of them, tried one after another. Then take off at a gallop and run at that mountain, go up just a few feet, and our horses foot and start slipping and then fall down. All of them tried without success, but at sunset. There was the sound of thunder heard, and they turned and looked, and the stallion bigger than anybody had ever seen came pounding out of the horizon. Big, beautiful stallion with a gallant knight sitting on the back with, with armor of shining brass. Here he came. He didn't even slow down, didn't introduce himself, Simon entered right after him. Just ran straight at the mountain without saying hello. Just run one third of it and kind of stopped, turned his horse around, and ran back off into the sunset. It set that place apart, alive with excitement, people buzzing, talking, wondering, speculating. Who was that? Never introduced himself. Couldn't see his face for his arm. The next day, uh, first, a young lady's getting a little interested now. He wants to know who that was. The next day, those fellows decided that he could do it, they could do it. I mean, they tried even harder than ever. And right at that mountain, and all tried and failed. And at sunset, here it came again. Big old black stallion. And he was decked out in armor of shining silver. Praise the Lord. It was fascinating. He ran at that mountain, didn't stop again, didn't say anything, ran two-thirds up the way of that mountain. And then stop turning his horse around off into the sunset. Third day of trial, same story, third chapter, same thing again, they all tried and failed. At sunset, the ground rumbled, here it came. Praise God, that huge stallion just adorned with all of that fancy uh, clothing and ray, and here was the night, and Armor of shining gold. I mean, it blinded them in the sun, setting sun. He rode toward that mountain, didn't stop, slow down, or anything. Up the mountain he went, all the way to the top, and stopped his horse up there. And they had a picture in that little book of him sitting on top of that last one. There was those yellow lines flashing. I mean, splendor, glory, Jesus. Brother, let me tell you something. As I was a little boy here in that story, my little old chance swam down. 
ways long. I felt like that night and shining over. You think I was one of those losers that tried for three days and didn't make it? I was the fellow that made it. Yeah. I made myself the hero of the story. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Praise God. We, there was five kids in our family at the time. We'd get together and act out what we had heard of these stories. We didn't have very many toys. I'm not saying that for your sympathy, it's just the way it was, so we had to use our imagination. And so we got together, we were pretty close in age, since there's been a sixth one, maybe. but there's five of us, and we'd all get together and play kings and princesses, you know, and if I couldn't be the king, bless God, I'm <laughs> had a brother, I'm a brother that's older than I am, but I was just left campaigning. If I can't be the king, I'm not playing. So then all that may be the king, so I play. And I'd go ahead and get one of Mom's purple bathrobes, put it on. We got a piece of cardboard, cut it out in the shape of a crown, painted diamonds and rubies and all the fancy gems on it, put it there, and set it on my head. Hey, that wasn't cardboard any longer, that was solid, yeah. We'd take a yellow blanket, drape it over a chair, that became a throne, yeah. Praise God. I'd sit there with, I mean, stretched out as far as I could over my door. My oldest sister, she wouldn't play if she couldn't be the princess. And so she'd go in there and she'd find clothes and she'd get herself all that down. Here she'd come, praying along. And we'd play like this by the hour. I'd sit there and I'd bark out an order to my lowly servants. That was my other two brothers. And they'd come in with a little pillow or something and a cracker laying on it. And I'd take the cracker and eat it. And I'd have a stick in my hand and I'd touch it to their hands. With that far off gaze. I'd like to even do that again. Praise God. But we play like that, boy. Because for a little while, we were not children. We were great and important and wealthy people. Yes, yeah. Praise God. And I remember how that our bubble was always burst when the door would fly open. There stood mom. Look at this mess. Get it cleaned up. Pick up all those blankets. Get those crazy clothes on. It's time for bed. Wash up. Get in bed. Want everybody bed? Lights out. Something. What is this? Suddenly, we were snapped back to reality. The king would pull off his crown. Yeah. Take the blanket off the chair. And we were back to reality. That was a fatal, fairy tale. We acted that Yeah. And I don't know why some people go to church, because that's all they want to hear. If somebody tell them how great they are, how wonderful they that's why they only want to hear preaching about love today. Preach those things that can lift us up, swell us out, make us skip across the galaxies and dance on the stars. That's what we want. All and impress. Praise God. Using fancy words. and I mean, pick us up there. Don't tell us what we really are. Don't tell us that we're flesh, that we're vile, that we are filthy, that we're sinful, that we're diabolical, that we're carnal. Don't tell us that our flesh is not pleasing to God. Tell us. Tell us we're heroes. Praise God. Don't condemn our cigarettes, okay? Don't condemn our beer, Presley. Don't condemn our dirty joke, Talon, our Talon. Don't condemn our lifestyle. Let us come to church and tell us how much you love us and how great we are. Fairy tales, fantasy, fables. That's it. Drive past churches on Sunday morning and see all the deacons out there taking a last ride before they go in. Some old weak weak sissy gets up there and doesn't have the guts to tell him he's going to hell. If he doesn't repent of his sins and get right. Pamperson, because old brother Jones, you know, is a big contributor to the church 
offers. Yeah. We wouldn't want to lose him, so let's tell him anything he wants to hear, yeah. so long as he'll stay around here. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Praise God. That's right. Hallelujah. Very careful. And oh, how Pentecost is falling for this deceit. You ask some people from some churches how service was last night or whatever it was. They can't answer with, oh, we had a wonderful time, good service. It's all fantastic. I mean, they could have had a funeral and it was fantastic. They can't answer without using superlatives. I mean, it was authentic. It was tremendous. Praise God, stupendous. I mean, it was, it was just out of this world. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. It was out of this world. Praise God. And you know what the word fantastic comes from? It comes from the word fantasy. It means dealing with fantasy. And that's about all that they have. They're telling the truth and they don't know. All they have is a lot of fantasy. Hey, I want to be saved. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need. Don't tell me I'm already right lost. Tell me I'm ready. Look down right. says that they would be, they would heed to themselves teachers. I promise you that you can go within driving distance of this place right here. I don't know that for sure, but that's good suspicion. You can find exactly the kind of church that you like. I guarantee you. If you go for the rest of it, but you don't understand why we can't have television, you can find a church in here. That's what you want? Go ahead. Praise the Lord. If you, if you don't, if you believe against television, but you want a church that's kind of loose, a little bit on the standards, let you do a few things you don't like. Uh-huh. But, but this man, voices, you'll find somebody that'll say, come on, we'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah. We do it here, and we're still saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He yes. to themselves teachers. Yeah. You'll find me a tailor-made preacher. To fit my likes and dislikes. Right. I can go there every week and be deceived and have it packed from scratch. Hallelujah. I want to say Yes, sir. What I really want to focus on this morning is that the Bible says the time will come when they will not endure. And that word endure is peculiar. The reason I say that is because. Virtually every other time that you read that word in your in your Bible, it is used with with unpleasant things. You read about blessed is the man that endure temptation. Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier. Another place it talks about enduring a great flight of afflictions. Endure persecution trouble. I mean bad things, unpleasant things. Who can say that persecution is a picnic? Y'all listen to me now. Her baby's five is one. And he's gone. Won't hear the last one either. But it is used with unpleasant things. Why then is it using the word in your hear? In relation to God. It seems out of place. We endure affliction. We endure temptation. We endure persecution. You mean to tell me we have to endure sound doctrine also? I looked it up and I found that there are two major definitions that I want to talk about here for a little while. About the word endure. And one of them is that endure means to put up with repetition. When I read that, I had to chuckle to my son. I grew up in church. 
little kid running around, they all running around the place after church. I didn't hear what people were saying. They didn't think I was listening, just a kid. They don't I heard people say sometimes, they say sometimes, how come he always has to preach about standards? <laughs> how come he always has to talk about that? Always gets back on that little kid he has. That little old high horse. Why can't we hear some more about the book of Revelation or Daniel? Prophecy. Oh, yeah. The great mysteries. Unlock them yeah. so we can see them. Because you haven't yet accepted what is plain. Uh-huh. Amen. We don't want to confuse your little mind. Yeah. Don't introduce some more complex ideas. You haven't learned your ABC. I think you know it won't bother me too much. Praise the Lord. I guess that's easy for me to say. Praise God. Putting up a repetition. You know that people that study these things say that we retain only a small portion of what we hear. You have, they tell salesmen that listen to tapes, the self-help and all that, that they have to listen to it something like 18 times just to retain the majority of what that tapes are. 18 times. You are listening to me here this morning. By the time I get done, you will remember much of what I've said. By tonight, you'll remember less. By tomorrow, even less. By a week from now, you'll remember highlights. A year from now, you'll do good to remember my subject. We retain a small portion of what we hear. However, we retain as much as 80% of what we see. Please get So that if we retain so much more of what we see, how come God doesn't use some kind of audiovisual means of proclaiming his gospel. I mean, we all come in, sit down, and suddenly just give us all a vision. Or let an angel float down from heaven and do some stupendous thing, dazzle us. We would retain that. I think. We would retain at least most of it. It would become branded in our mind. We'd say it. Hey, instead of preaching about hell, how come God doesn't bring us all in here and just open the floor up and let us see hell? Instead of preaching about heaven, why don't we all come together and just get a glance? I mean, literally, a glance. Y'all are uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. I arrived at the conclusion... That the reason why the Bible says that it pleased God, that by the foolishness of preaching, He would save them that believe, praise God. And that means that He probably had other choices to pick from, but it pleased God. That by the foolishness of preaching, save them that believe, I arrived at the conclusion, I can seek that, snuggle up, tighten it, hang on to your hat. God doesn't want just anybody in heaven. Come on. And if they use these visual means in order to speak to us, there would be some people that would be so moved by what they had seen that it would push them into a decision they were not really ready to live with. I could cite an example here, but I won't. Probably should, but I'll just exercise common courtesy, and I won't. Praise God. Hallelujah. And yet, the Bible says, by the foolishness of preaching. Let me explain this. 
have what it takes to come here and sit and listen to it. And go home and come back and listen to it again. And go home and come back and listen to it again. And go home and come back and listen to it again. And hear it again and again and again. You don't have what it takes to be saved. God wants everybody to be saved. Sure he does. The Bible says it please, or rather, uh, it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He said, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, and not that he should turn and live. God wants people to be saved, but he doesn't want people in heaven that don't have the combination necessary to get them. And unless you can come and sit here and hear it again and again and again and again and again and again, you don't have what it takes. And if you can enjoy it, and you can put up a repetition, and you can come back and say, we do it anymore, but come and do it again. That's the kind of people God wants in heaven. Praise God. Let me give a little illustration. There used to be a time, now they still do it on ships, but on airplanes that flew across the sea, they had four crew members. They had a pilot, co-pilot, they had a flight engineer, monitored systems, and they had a navigator. That navigator had all his charts and little instruments, and it was up to him to plot their course and check occasionally make sure they were on course. They still, of course, have that on ships. Very uh, modernized now, but they still have that. Praise God. And so, he, before they ever started out, they decided what their destination was, drew their lines to it, the course they were going to follow. And uh, then when, when they were in a route, they would, uh, he would get out his instruments, the pilot would call out for course case. Get out his instruments, he'd chart it all, and go through all the little steps there to achieve this. And finally, when he was all done with his checking, he'd draw a little point on that chart with his pencil, say, Captain, we're right on course. Continue the course. Fifteen minutes later, the winds are blowing strong. Pilot calls out, Navigator, give me another course Well, he used the charge. He used the instruments once and stole them away. We used them once to throw them away. Uh-huh. He'd take out the same old charge, uh-huh. same old instruments. He wouldn't even use his last point as a reference point because he could have done something wrong the last time he figured. So he starts all over again. Goes through all the little steps until finally draws another little point on the paper. Captain! Half a degree off. Direct such a thing. Half a degree. Come on now. Half a degree. A half a degree, once it begins, will continue to increase, little by little. And so you can wind up a long ways from where you started out to go. Uh-huh. There was a case that happened some years ago. It was in a reader's digest. A jet liner, both people, was flying around the world. And it was in the northern hemisphere, so instead of going around the equator, the shortest distance was around the pole, over the North Pole. So that's the way it was coming. But its course put it very close to Russian airspace. While they were in route, as they passed the North Pole, all their instruments were to reverse. The calculating was to reverse. Now the pole was behind them. Whereas the north wasn't north like it used to be. It became the opposite. Now please hear me today. Praise God. And so they got up there, and as they passed the pole, they made an error in their compensation. A small error. They didn't catch it. And so consequently, it continued to increase. They started, though they weren't aware of it, they started making a gradual circle. Bearing around. Now, their instruments are are now telling them they are on course because they miscalculated when they set them. And so they think they're doing all right. But suddenly they wind up over Russian airspace. The next thing they know, there's the Russian fighter on each wing. Now we had a plane shot down like that here a couple years ago. Praise the Lord. 
But suddenly there's a fighter on each wing. And the fighter is, the pilots are making the international hand signals for them to get down. Well, they ignored them. They thought, we're the ones on course. They're the ones that are straight out of their airspace. We're doing little. So they ignored them. They kept on flying. Their pilots became very vehement in their motions. You get down. Follow us down. They wouldn't do it. They thought, no, we're doing right. So finally one backed up and shot it. Blew a hole in the side of that airplane. Did enough damage that they had to get down. They had to make an emergency landing on a glacier down below in that Arctic region. A number of people died. Most of them, fortunately, survived. Yet, it started out as just a minor deviation from their course. Praise God. You might think a preacher gets up sometimes and makes a whole lot of ado about nothing. Just a minor deviation. Come on, preacher. Be a little more elastic. Stretch a little, roll the punches a little more. Yeah. Don't be so hard in such a minor thing. But you know what that man knows and understands? Oh, if we start now in a half a degree yeah. error, it will continue to, in, to increase and to grow and expand until we could very possibly miss heaven by a million miles and think we were on course the whole time. That's right. Uh, that's why he has to get up there and he gets the word of God out and he starts with point A and goes through the whole little rigmarole again and again and again. I know we checked ourselves out last week, but let's see again. That's why the Bible says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest here to the faith which we have heard. That's that any time we should let them slip. Yes, sir. Pastor, get for me a little faster. Scripture, a couple of verses. I'll move on with you. A couple of verses found in Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter, chapter one, verses twelve and thirteen. My memory. Praise God. Now, this is what the Apostle Peter said about this. Wherefore I will not be negligent. Wherefore I will not be negligent. This apostle wrote. To put you always, to put you always in remembrance, in remembrance of these things. Of these things, though you know them, what? Though you know them, what? Though you know them, though you know them, and be established, and be established in the present, in truth. the present truth. Praise God! But we already know there's one God. What? <laughs> We already know about holiness. How come keep on harping on it? We already know about worship. Why do you get up and continually just go over the same territory? We already know about prayer and all those things. Why can't we move on to something else? The apostle said, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though you know them, have the established in the present truth. We all. Praise God. Yea, I think it be. Yea, I think it be. As long as I am in this tabernacle. As long as I am in this tabernacle, or as long as I am alive. To stir you up. To stir you up. By putting you. By putting you. In remembrance. In remembrance. Uh The time will come when they will not put up with repetition. But thank God for a man that will get up and say, Church, we already know this, but just in case somebody. Letting it get away from them, let's go over it again. For yeah. so these are my things. They are important to our salvation. You're going to catch rabbits in traps. You don't set the traps where they hardly ever go. You sit it on their often travel paths. You watch for the sign. Once they get off that unfamiliar territory, they throw caution to the wind. They get over that ground so that it parts. They worn out. The vegetation doesn't even grow because they've been over it so often. Uh-huh. And that's what the devil knows too. Uh-huh. It's not things that are unfamiliar with that can be a threat to us because we will be extra cautious, extra watchful, uh-huh. extra careful. Uh-huh. How many of them yeah, are going to set his traps? Let's go. Let's get things up. Let's keep it. 
Reverend Grice need more than to be in evangelistic service. 